Blog Talk Radio. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You already know what time it is. It's that official time. When we take this worldwide. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up We all up in your area like landscape Definitely bringing you the power slamming pancakes It's the mandate that you tune in It's time to move out so we can move in And recognize that this is no illusion I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion It all started off in the book of Genesis When Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was his nemesis And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him He touched his hip but he really could have devoured him And from that point then we hear a name change Rearrange the game so now we gotta change uh, so I'm here to let you know it's time to listen to the Pancake and Power Slam show. Let's go! Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam show. Uh. Listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Episode 211, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Pancakes and Power Slam show. As always, I'm your host, Chris Featherstone at Crave Wrestling. Follow us also on Twitter, Crave Wrestling, Be There or Be Square. Ladies and gentlemen, this is 211 episodes. Our interviews just continue to get better and bigger and better and bigger, and we've had so many people on the show. But I'm really excited to talk to this person in particular. Um, There's a lot of stuff to talk about, some fun things to talk about, and some, uh, you know, Maybe controversial things to talk about, but uh, you know, if you're if you're this person, knowing uh, this person's personality, nothing's really controversial. So I'm really excited to uh, talk to my uh, special guest today. Of course, we have a lot to talk about this evening on episode 211. Uh, Flavor of the week is the five must-see feuds for 2016. And yeah, that's going to be very, very interesting. And of course, we're going to have uh, some live feed, some live interaction, some live trivia, as we do all the time. Go to our Facebook page. We're actually live. We're doing something different after four years. We're actually going Facebook live. Uh, so, so go there. Crave Wrestling Facebook page. Uh, ask the questions that you, the burning questions that you really want to hear. Uh, I may ask some time permitting. Uh, to uh, my special guest today. We're really excited. So without further ado, let's get in right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, former WWE United States champion, former two-time TNA World Heavyweight Champion, and members of 
and, and a former member of a multi, of a myriad of um, <laughs> extinct factions. I'm not sure. I'm, I, I'm sure that that's not probably the best part of his career, but storied career, nonetheless. Without further ado, the one and only Mr. Ken Anderson. How are you tonight, sir? Good morning, sunshine. How you doing? Anderson. I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing very good. It's it's great to have you, man. It's it's very it's great to, to have on, you. So. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Yeah, man, absolutely. So you are in Wisconsin at, the, at this point, or are you somewhere else? I'm in Minnesota. That's I actually live in Minnesota now. It's just nice. yeah. <laughs> nice. The AWA stomping grounds. Yeah, exactly. It's just a bigger area. It's kind of a bigger metropolis. You know, it's it's one of the biggest cities between I guess between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And mm-hmm. I moved over here in 2000. Uh, 2001 actually just to wrestle full time because mm-hmm. there were so many independent groups over here that I could literally wrestle every Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday, and sometimes Wednesdays too, uh, mm-hmm. just about every week. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. So, yeah. What I made you want to pursue wrestling? To Green Bay, moved back to Green Bay in 05. And when I got hired by WWE, I was. I was living in Green Bay. So. Wisconsin. I'm sorry, what did you ask? <laughs> yeah, I asked, uh, I asked what made you want to pursue wrestling. Why wrestling? Well, I, from the time that I was a little kid, I remember seeing the, the first movie that I ever remember seeing in the theater was E.T. And I remember mm-hmm. going home and asking my mom, like, how do, how do I do that? I want to be, you know, I want to be Elliot. And she said, oh, it's really hard. You can't, you have to know the right people and you have to go out to Hollywood, you have to live in Hollywood and blah, 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 blah. So, mm-hmm. but I, I just remember from the time that I was a little kid, I just loved entertaining and I would put on little plays for my family and friends and neighborhoods and we'd make, you know, we'd get guys together and write these little movies and shoot them with that video cameras that our parents had, those big, huge dinosaur video cameras that, that, that mm-hmm. the VHS tape would go inside. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, we'd make movies. I mean, they were garbage. They were absolutely terrible, but we didn't care. We were little kids. And then I got into acting, and I, but I always also played sports all the time. You know, I, was, uh, I ran track. I swam. was always into martial arts. And I never watched wrestling as a kid. Well, when I was about 21 years old, I was at a friend's house, and he sort of forced my hand and said, we're watching wrestling tonight. And I was like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I watched, and I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin come up to the ring for the first time, and I was just like, that guy's awesome. So I started watching every week just to see what he would watch. And at the time, all of my friends, my roommates that I was living with were all watching it. And so I would just sit down with them, and, and they would sort of fill me in, well, this guy's feuding with that guy, and here's the backstory on this blah, blah, blah. And I just got sucked into everything. And then I realized that this was such a great marriage of the things that I loved. You know, it's this showmanship. There's an acting aspect to what we do. And there's also a large athletic portion of what we do. So that sort of, and and then I was just like, I was at a party one night. (laughs) Excuse me. 
And uh, a friend of mine said, you can go to wrestling school and learn how to do the moves and stuff like that. And I just, I was, I couldn't think about anything else the rest of the night. I went home, got online, found a wrestling school. And, you know, the rest is history. Nine months later, I had my first match. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Man, I hate to be a buzzkill, but I just got word that Balls Mahoney passed away. Oh, yeah. Just heard about that. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's... uh... That's really uh, that. That's yeah. That's uh, startling. I, I just saw him. I just saw him about. I want to say eight or nine months ago, mm-hmm. on a show, out on the East Coast somewhere. I can't exactly remember where it was, but you know, he had his kid there, a young young son. I believe he was about ten years old. So just sad. Wow. Sad. Yeah. Did you um, nice did guy. you wrestle him before? I I never wrestled him, but I, I was around him a lot in WWE mm-hmm. when he was there when they married ECW with WWE. Yeah, I was there. And wow, That's, a lot of time uh, on the yeah. because ECW and SmackDown were would travel together. So right we overseas tours together, we would do the in-state tours together. So right, how was he backstage? He was great. Always a nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. A little, I had some strange interactions with him. I remember one time <laughs> I was, I was walking up to an arena. I don't, I think we were in Germany and I was walking up to an arena and he was sitting out sort of sunning himself. He had these headphones on big headphones. And as I walked by, he pulled the headphones off shook my hand. How you doing, brother? He was always the sweetest guy, you know, very, very friendly. And he, and I said, I'm, I'm good. What you listening to? And he was typo negative. And I'm like, oh, those are the guys that think they're vampires, right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm a vampire too. And I was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> and he showed me his arm where he had cut himself the night before, and he and his girlfriend were taking turns sucking each other's blood and stuff like that. Oh, so he was just some interesting thing to think. <laughs> wow. So yeah. So yeah. he was a yeah, uh, living. He, he just 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 really nonchalant. Yeah, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. You yeah know, I mean, we, <laughs> we all tend to be, you know. <laughs> wow. That's, so uh, that's so are you allergic to garlic and holy right. water? And <laughs> right. Wait, wait. You're sitting out <laughs> in the sun right now. What are you doing? Do you melt when you see crosses? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that's uh, you know we have to bring some levity to it. I, I appreciate that story. Um, uh, of course, you know I, I don't know uh, the specifics of of, uh, of why and, and what and things like that, but it's it is tough to you know see any any type of wrestler stuff. I've written articles and have talked about it before. Just you know the wrestling business can just be so hard on people, um, and just uh, it's it's such uh, an infectious business, but. Uh, it's an exhausting business as well. Um, but uh, it, somehow it you've... You know, yeah. I, I always say, I don't mean to cut you off there, but no, it's okay. I will say, and, and I'm not I'm not knocking the business at all because I love the business, but it we work the hardest, it hurts the most, and it pays the least. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. out of all the professional yeah. sports that you can do out there, you know, but, but what is it I mean, about? Not, 
You're what is it about thinking. wrestling that's so addictive, though? It's that I don't want to say the pop of the crowd because it's the fact that we are sort of manipulating the crowd. Mm-hmm. That's fun. That's fun to be able to go out there and call something in the pack and say, like, they're going to react this way when you do this to me. Or they're going to react, they're going to boo or cheer when this happens. And then you go out there and you execute it, and it happens. Yeah. There's nothing better. Or even sometimes they'll throw you a curveball and say they don't react to what you, and you are able to then figure out on the fly, like, how to get them to react. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's that That's the stuff to me that I enjoy the most. I, I like going out, and I'm a baby face. I go out and I'm a good guy and the crowd boos me. One of the best things to do is to get them to turn that around on you, mm. you know, to turn yeah. that around and get them to actually, okay. All right. I, you know, we were going to, we were going to hate this guy just because he's an ex WWE guy and blah, blah, blah. He's a TNA guy, but you know, whatever the reasoning is. And you're able to sort of you know, disarm them a little bit. I don't know if that's no. what it is. I mean, it's a physical thing. I, I love the physicality of it. I actually, when it's happening, I enjoy getting, it's like playing football, right? You get tackled really hard. I mean, sometimes it just, it just fires you up, revs mm-hmm. you up. Whatever, what, any sport you play, you get, you get rocked and it just, it either fires you up or you flee. The situation, you have fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it fires me up. Now, the next day, I feel freaking terrible, but <laughs> and for the next few days after that. But, mm. um, so you started yeah. in '99. '99. Mm. Seventeen years in the business. That's uh, that's that's impressive. It's crazy, and uh, the, the time at times has flown by. At times, it mm-hmm. seems to stand still. The last 10 years of my career have just flown by. And it was just, mm-hmm. when I, especially when I was in WWE, the four and a half, whatever, five years that I was there, it was just, you're, you're so busy. You're constantly on the road. You're traveling four to seven days a week. Seven days a week if you're doing overseas tours, right? Mm-hmm. And... You're in a different town every night, and you don't know which way is up and which way is down. And then there are things that I've done in my career, especially when I was at WWE, that I had completely forgotten about until somebody reminded me of it. I had had this feud with Shawn Michaels that I literally just remembered. I mean, we had feuded a couple different times. There was one, and the guy showed me this match that we had at, uh, I believe it was Armageddon. I could be wrong. One year. Or maybe it was Survivor Series. And one of my, you know, when I watched it, I was like, oh, that's like one of my favorite matches I've ever had in my career. I was really happy with it. And I'm not happy with many matches that I'm involved in. Working with a guy like Sean, it's kind of hard to have a bad match, right? So, yeah. But, but anyway, my point being that I've forgotten a lot of the stuff that I've I've done just because it's just so go, 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 go all the time. Um, 
Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is, and, and I enjoy that aspect of it, too, at the same time. Yeah. December 16th, 2007, Armageddon. You went against uh-huh. John Michaels. Yeah, 15-minute yeah, yep. match. And yep. um, unfortunately, you lost. That's probably because you yep. didn't get the um, Balls Mahoney blood that night. So that would have uh, sparked you up a little bit. <laughs> I didn't get the transfusion. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, just your upbringing, just your, just your start as far as WWE. So interestingly enough, oddly enough, you started uh, as an extra in a Brock Lesnar segment, and and I did some research, and and I, I, it's funny because I've probably seen every single SmackDown in history, and when I found out about that, I, I went back and I watched it, and I saw you, and it was very very interesting. You were like marking out so crazy as far as having him sign your art, your autograph, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious when I saw it. How did that come about? So, I. When I first started, I believe it was, I had been maybe wrestling for a year, and I decided I'm going to start sending tapes, WWE, WCW, ECW, whatever. And a bunch of people told me, don't do it. You're not ready. You're too green. They'll see the tape. They'll know that you're green, blah, 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 blah. They'll always remember that. And I always just remember thinking, you know what? If I send a tape today, and I'm not good, and then I send a tape, six months or a year from now and I've shown improvement and then I send another tape six months and they see more improvement. I, I, that's got to come for something, right? Mm-hmm. And so I sent a tape to Kevin Kelly at WWE. He called me back a week later and said, I got your tape. I watched it. I liked it. I want to bring you in to do some dark matches. I see that you're from, I was living in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which is close to Green Bay. I see that you're in Wisconsin. I've got, we've got Raw and SmackDown taping in Chicago and Milwaukee, Monday and Tuesday. I would like to use you as an extra. You'll get paid X amount of dollars, blah, blah, blah. You won't, you know, it, it wasn't a guarantee that you'd work. And I ended up going there. I believe Punk was in that thing, too. Yep. I think Punk, Punk was in that segment. Yeah, sure it was. But that wasn't my first time. That was actually probably my fifth time being an extra at WWE hmm. because I had done the, that was in Milwaukee. No, that was in Chicago. That little skit that took place. But I had done a bunch of stuff before that because I remember being at, I remember being at the raw in Cleveland when Vince bought WCW and they did the live simulcast between mm-hmm. Cleveland and uh, where was it in Florida? Uh, yeah, yeah, Panama. yeah, Panama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember meeting Brock Lesnar for the first time and looking at him and just like, oh my God, that guy doesn't even look real. <laughs> so I remember. Yeah. You know, I, I did a bunch of stuff. I was a cop for a segment. I was. I was a cop in a couple segments, actually. That was my first thing, and that was in Detroit at the Joe Louis Arena. My first match was in Cleveland at the Gund Arena against Ete Rios. It was for Jats or metal or something like that. It was another one of their 
ancillary shows. Yeah, yeah, and, sea shows. So yeah. I just did tons of that stuff. I just kept doing extra work and dark matches, and every time that I would get to the building and all of us would, all the extras would eat catering real quick and then go change into our shorts and our gear, put on our wrestling boots, and we would get out by the ring and we would try to actually get in the ring if possible. And then it happened from time to time. They'd say, all right, you guys get in there. You you wrestle him. No, go. You guys need to get in there and chain wrestle and fool around, things like that. He'd pick up tips from a lot of times Art Anderson or Fit Finley would roll in the ring and they would just have a clinic for an hour and a half and just wow. teach you stuff. Really cool. Yeah. I'd imagine. I mean, those two are the most, you know, the, the best wrestlers, two of the best wrestlers ever. Um, just the hard hitting. Yeah, absolutely yep. amazing. So you no were influenced by Paul works, Heyman, I mean, weren't you? What was that? No, no. I was I was asking you were influenced by Paul Heyman, but you were saying you you were you were saying something about uh, Anderson and Finley. Yeah, well, so it it was a combination of a bunch of different people. You know, it was Doctor Tom that really helped me out a lot. Um, he eventually took over. Well, Kevin Kelly was the guy who gave me my initial smell, my my initial taste. And he kept bringing me in for dark matches. And then he left and Dr. Tom got the position. And Dr. Tom kept bringing me in. And, you know, um, I, I took a couple classes from him. And then, and then Tommy Dreamer ended up taking over the job from Dr. Tom. And that trend continued. And so it was, it was all of those guys. And then when I got to, I remember Tommy had booked me for some shows and I was in the ring during the day. And I remember Davari, Davari had gotten hired. Davari is one of my best friends in the business. Davari had gotten hired already. And he basically said, look, don't get in the ring and just chain wrestle. They don't want to see that. They want to see characters. They want to see heels and baby faces, good guys versus bad guys, white hat, black hat. And I just, okay, I'm going to, you know, when I get my chance. And, and guys were getting in there. It was like you'd have five guys on one corner of the ring, five guys on another, and you just sort of tag in, tag out. And guys were literally just chain wrestling. And I remember I got in there, and I cut the guy off, and I started giving him, you know, forearms to the back and choking <laughs> him on the ropes. And I was adding a lot of my character into it. Well, everybody was in a meeting at the time. So it was just all these local guys, these extras, like ten of us in the ring. And for some reason, Paul Heyman and Jim Ross came and sat ringside. And they were skipping out on the meeting for some reason and were just chit-chatting amongst each other. And after I tagged out, Paul said, gave me the you know, motion for me to, to come over to him. I went over there and he said, who trained you? And I said, well, I got trained by Mike Krause and Eric Pluck in, in Green Bay. And then I, got, I eventually went to Brad Rangins in Minnesota to get sort of finishing and he's like, oh, I know Brad well, because Brad had trained Brock. And and Brock was actually the guy that got me in touch with Brad in the first place. And so he's like, okay, well, he was, I really like your work, and you should keep it up. And, and then later on in the day, Brawler came and got me, Brooklyn Brawler. And he does all the backstage interviews and stuff. And he asked me, he said, hey, Paul Heyman wants you to do some promos today. So... 
Paul had, had liked my work enough that he now wanted to see me talk, wanted to see if I could talk. And so I just spent the whole day doing a, you know, coming up with this baby face promo and a heel promo. And eventually I ended up, I, I, he ran out of time and wasn't able to do it. But he always remembered, he gave me his number in the office and told me to call. And I called him every Wednesday for about three months and never got through to him. <laughs> because it's just the nature of what we do. It's the nature of our business. Guys are so busy all the time and they have so many people sort of, knocking on your door, yeah, ringing you up, texting you, asking you for this, asking for that. So totally understand it. And anyway, he remembered, and eventually I went and, and Tommy booked me on another set of Raw and SmackDown tapings, and I went there. And this time I was standing next to Sean DeBarry outside the ring, and Fit Finley pointed at me and then pointed at DeBarry and said, you and you, get in the ring, go. Yeah, five minutes, just like that. And Davari and I had worked with each other so many times on the indies that we had so much stuff in the tank. We knew each other's stuff inside and out. And he just said, you know, he's like seven or eight years younger than me. And he was like, just listen to me. Because he had been in the OVW system for so long, he sort of knew what they were looking for. And we just mm-hmm. had a really good five-minute, solid, easy, simple, but effective match. Told a story, showed character, and... Arn pulled me aside and said, next time there's there's a round of hirings, I'm going to put your name in the hat. I really enjoyed it. And then a couple nice. other people came up and said the same thing. So, you know, it was, and, and then Paul eventually gave me my my launch. You know, when, when he took over, I, I eventually got hired, went to OBW. Jim Cornette was running the show. Jim Cornette ended up uh, moving on. And the day that Paul Heyman came in, he looked at me and he said, you're the next guy out of here. He said, I've been a fan of you. And, and up until that point, he really hadn't said much to me. He'd just sort of been quiet. I would, I would go in and cut promos with Paul, and he really wouldn't say much. He would just say, okay, liked it. Good. Talk to you next time. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy hates me. You know? like he, he, I'm so bad that he doesn't want to give me any kind of criticism or any kind of advice. And eventually he came in and said, you're the next guy out of here. He said, I've been a fan of yours since I saw you when I was sitting next to the ring with Jim Ross. The guy remembers everything, too. And he's like, I'm going to do so much stuff with you that they're going to have to take notice. And then I think it was the next week or the week after that that he he told me, go out there, cut the ring announcer off, tell him he's a piece of crap, and that you're going to do it. And I, I did it at the end of the I did my introduction. I introduced myself, and then at the end, I just added my last name twice for effect. It was something that I used to do in high school when I announced basketball games. And I got to the I got to the locker room, and I now mind you, I had had a thirty minute quote Ironman match with Ben Albright on this television show, and I got to the back, and it wasn't. Hey, great match. You guys really put on a clinic out there. It was, man, when you said your last name twice, everybody popped in the back. Mm. And so it was that sort of thing. And two or three weeks later, I was on TV. I was making my debut on SmackDown uh, Funaki, right? Velocity. Velocity. Against velocity? I, I Funa- debuted against, um, on Velocity against Funaki. Yeah, that was velocity. an interesting one because I was supposed to, it was supposed to be just a dark match and 
Funaki was going to beat me at the end of this dark match, and all of a sudden I'm in gorilla position, you know, which is uh, right before you go out through the curtain. I'm just mm-hmm. sort of warming up, getting my head right, doing some push-ups and some squats. First of all, I saw Vince walk by. Now, Vince never walked up and watched any of the dark matches. He would barely even watch Velocity or Heat or any of that stuff. He would only come and sit up right a few minutes before Raw was about to start or SmackDown was about to start. And so uh, I thought that was odd. And then uh, about a minute later, Dave Lagana walked up, and he was the head writer of SmackDown at the time. And he said, ah, there's been a change. And right away, I immediately assumed, oh, my match got cut. Right. So that's happened before. And he said, well, he said, first of all, we got to come up with a finisher for you because you're going to win the match. You're going over. Second, he said, this is not going to be a dark match anymore. This is going to be televised. Uh, velocity. And third, welcome aboard. And he just stuck his hand up. You know, just like that. I got hired. Wow before it went out and had the match. So, yeah. And then two weeks after that, I debuted on SmackDown as Mr. Kennedy against Kodaki again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember the Velocity one, because uh, you were still, you were Mr. Anderson at that time, and you did the whole Anderson-Anderson thing. And then I noticed the switch between Anderson and Kennedy um, yep. when you when you went on SmackDown, so um, there's a bunch of stories that that uh, have been roaming over the past dozen years of how that happened. Um, so was it a Kennedy because of McMahon thing to differentiate yourself from the Anderson family? Is that true, or is that uh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, but he Johnny Ace came up to me during the day and said, "Hey." Uh, so Vince wants you to change your name. Good impersonation. Okay. Or good impersonation. <laughs> good impersonation. And I said, well, okay. So I immediately called Paul, and I was like, okay, i got to come up with something. And I was Kamikaze Ken on the independent scene. So I had this logo that I had been using for years and years, backwards case, and I wanted to keep that. I wanted that to be my sort of my throwback to my indie days. I spent six and a half years on the Indies. And so um, they, they, he basically said, okay, well, you got to pick something that's sort of near and dear to his heart. And we started throwing around all these different names. And you know, I said I wanted something with KK. And he was like, Kennedy. Kennedy, first of all, Kennedy's Vince's middle name. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's never been a Kennedy before. So I, I, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, you have my blessing, I'll give you my middle name. It wasn't that. It wasn't to that degree, but that was sort of what Paul said. He's like, you know, if he gives it to you, he likes you. So then I, I went in and I asked him if that was, uh, first of all, he said, well, uh, what do you want? How do you want your, uh, what do you want for your name? And I was like, um, I prefer Mr. Anderson. And he's like, well, he goes, you know, it's just, he basically made it sound like, without saying it, I, I gathered that, look, the Andersons had been so successful, and he didn't want me potentially turn it. He didn't know if I was going to be a flash in the pan or, you know, if I was going to be terrible. 
Yeah. After it was sink, it was sink or swim for you at that time, for sure. Yeah, it was, and and but he didn't know, and he wasn't about to put the Anderson name potentially right. to shame. Um, so he he said, "I want you to stand on your own. I don't want people thinking that you were part of their family, and that's why you got the rub and you know all that stuff." So he just said, "I want you to stand on your own." In reality, it's because he wanted to own the name, just in case so mm. I could never use it anywhere else. <laughs> right. <laughs> now let me ask you: um, Does well, the the whole boxing or basketball double last name thing? Does Kennedy roll off the tongue better or Anderson to you? Uh, both, actually. I mean, it mm. started out as Anderson, and it was really hard for me to get with Kennedy. I actually remember the first night out on SmackDown when they when I switched my name over to Kennedy. I went, Mr. Uh, uh, Kennedy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm so Anderson. Yeah, I'm so used to Anderson now because of uh, your TNA run. Uh, mm-hmm. But for some reason, Canada, like that's a, that, that, that's some girth in that to me. Canada, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> some girth. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, one of the funniest things to me is when fans come up to me. So all I did basically from going from WWE to now is I changed my name, right? I, I mm-hmm. pretty much do the same stuff with, you know, I I try to change it up as much as I can and I adapt to whatever storyline I'm in, but it's still the same sort of character. And people always come up and say, man, I really, you know, I like you in TNA, but I really like you when you were Mr. Kennedy. And I was just like, I just changed my name. That's all I did. <laughs> Uh, they probably don't watch a certain product because of that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know that. <laughs> they didn't know that you're basically the exact same. I mean, well, well right. very much the same character with a different name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So you picked up some some very very um um huge wins early in your career within like the first a year around a year's time you beat five world champions you beat booker t ray mysterio batista undertaker and kane that, that's that's huge I, I even as far as i remember i think they even michael cole was um announcing that they were announced like your 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 winning streak and your your streak over beating world champions now who was who was responsible for uh, thrusting you in such a, a very prominent role um, early in your career? Uh, me, no. <laughs> of course, <laughs> with all the girth. <laughs> no, I, it was just when I got there. I remember feeling like I belong here. There wasn't this timid, oh my God, I got hired by, I just, I was like, yeah, I'm going to work. This is what I do. And immediately got thrust in with those guys, like you said, all Rey Mysterio and Booker T and you know, Benoit and uh, eventually Batista, Taker. And I was never starstruck. Looking back on it, it's weird because I should have been at the time. 
but I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. starstruck. I had already sort of gone through that phase when I was mm-hmm. doing all my dark matches and stuff. And I was just able to go out there and leave it all in the ring. I was able to, they didn't tell me what to say. It, and it really was sink or swim on my own accord. It was go out there. Vince would tell me, he said, don't worry about being a good guy or a bad guy. Just go out there and be you and let the fans decide if they like you. Mm-hmm. And it was that. Nice. Just go out there, cut promos and stuff. And uh, they would give me little bullet points. And I had this little feud going with Chimmel. Right? That's yep. how it started. And I remember at one point, though, <laughs> I did the, the jelly donut spot from Full Metal Jacket. You know, what is that in your jacket? Mm-hmm. Jelly donut? <laughs> Are you allowed to eat jelly donuts? You know, that kind of thing. And I remember after that, Vince was like, all right, starting to get a little too carried away. Get too comical <laughs> out there. You need to get more serious. So, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end of just me going out there and being able to do it on the fly. But yeah, and then and then I had a match. The, the, really, the thing that catapulted me. So I got injured. I got drop kicked off the apron, tore my tore my lat, had to have surgery. Was up for eight or nine months. I came back and I was sort of just well, we don't know what to do with you, so we're just going to have you have matches here and there. I was just doing random stuff, and then. Mark Henry was supposed to wrestle Batista at the Great American Bash, but he ended up busting his kneecap in half mm-hmm. during a Saturday night's main event taping. And so Vince came up to me at the next set of TV tapings and he said, you're wrestling Batista at the Great American Bash. We've got two weeks to build up to it. Are you going to be Are you gonna be ready? And I said, absolutely, I'm ready. He said, all right. And I went into it thinking, where I was positioned at the time that I was just going to have it was going to be a squash match basically Batista was supposed to be coming off this injury and he was just kicked off that Mark Henry had been the guy that took him out and now he wasn't going to be able to destroy Mark Henry the way that he wanted to and I figured they were just going to feed me to him but I got to the building and they were like no it's going to be a real match like you're going to, going to be back and forth and I, I remember asking, well, because he's supposed to be so mad and so you know, deranged, and the finish of the match was him getting disqualified because he wouldn't relinquish the hold in the corner, then he continues his onslaught, just beats the crap out of me a little more. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I, I should probably get some color, right? I should, get some, I should bleed a little bit. And I remember they specifically said, absolutely not. We don't want you to bleed because Undertaker's working – the Great Kali and the Punjabi prison match, and they're going to get, they're, they're probably going to do that. So, um, okay, so I'm not going to do it. Well, I think in the first 45 seconds to a minute of the match, he just slams my head into the steel steps, and uh, my head bounced off those steps. And I remember coming up off them, thinking, oh, I'm bleeding. And I started bleeding, and I played the entire match. And I had a good, you know, my whole face was covered with it. And I remember at one point I was on top of Batista. I was raining down these punches on him, and drops of blood were. I, I remember seeing a drop of blood 
drop into his eyeball. And, uh, you know, I'm just covered. And then right at the end of the match, he throws me so hard into the, into the post that I couldn't move out of the way. And my head hit the post so hard. It smacks me open. It gouged me. I've got about a four or five inch scar on my head to this day from where that bus would be open. That was right down to the white meat, right down to the skull. Wow. And basically, so in our business, if you get injured, you continue on for the most part, unless you just absolutely cannot. But as you know, Triple H tore his quad off the bone, still wrestled another 10 minutes. Maven breaks his leg, still wrestles, and still finishes the match, so on and so forth. It's just, everybody would have done it, but because I did it, because I wrestled through all that, that was just such a mess. I mean, I was covered head to toe in blood. I came back to that curtain, and it was sort of a respect thing, and that was awesome. You know, you, you, you push through it. And then, you know, the match itself was solid enough that Taker approached me the next week, and he said, hey, I, I watched your match with Batista, and I really liked it, and I think we could do some business together. So I just wanted to let you know. And then a week after that, he came up and said, we're going to be we're going to be entering into a program. We're going to work for at least three or four months. We're going to get three pay-per-views out of it at least. Wow. And I ended up, so between the singles matches that I had with him on the pay-per-views, tag matches I had with MVP against he, he and Kane, mm-hmm. and, that, you know, I was working with Undertaker for, I think, over a year between all the, the dark matches and the house shows and stuff like that. So we were married wow, to each other for a year. That's a big deal, but man. It was because it really of, but it was because of that match that I had with Batista that went well that yeah. really catapulted my career. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, for Taker to come to you and say, you know, that as much of he, you know, as much as a he is a, a, a general, you know, in, in the in the back, you know, backstage and in the WWE period, um, for for that to happen for him to watch your work and be um, so impressed by it for him to, you know, um, do a program with you. What's I mean, it really, I, I would say that out of all the you had the taker feud was the one that really put you on the map in my opinion um, because it was so it was long but it was meaningful and it was one of those things that you know you have this you know snot nosed you know heel that that is trying to you know because the undertaker always talked about how he makes people famous it's kind of like it was reversed you know you you had you, you were such a good snobby heel that you had that type of arrogant personality, like, you know, I'm not, you know, he's not going to make me famous. I'm going to make him famous, you know? So I think that that was really, really good. You know what I mean? It was, it was good for the, both of your characters. Um, and it really helped you a lot. Speaking of speaking of someone legendary, Eddie Guerrero. So you, yeah. um, you, you had his last, his, he had his last match with you on SmackDown. How was that feeling just to, just to have be forever, having that type of uh, tag, you know, um, affiliated with you, you know, being the last match of Eddie Guerrero? I just, it's hard for me to sort of figure out how I feel about that. And it's a sad thing that 
he's gone in the first place. So it's like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, be happy that I was the last guy to wrestle him. I, I feel weird about that. I, I'm not necessarily happy. I'm just, I'm just glad that I got to work him at all. Mm-hmm. And that to have a match that was memorable. I mean, the, the last thing he did was his old. They keeps getting. I, I see on my Facebook. I just somebody posted again on my Facebook. They they do that gangsta, what is it? Gangsta life, whatever. Uh, thug life. Or, mm-hmm. they, they basically he does the. They show the video where he smacks the mat and then throws the chair at me and takes a bump and acts like I knocked him out and then Charles Robinson turns around and sees it. This qualifies me. And they keep playing it over and over and over again. Then they. And it's, you know, turn it black and white. And they put the glasses over and put the joint in his mouth. You know what I'm talking about? The whole lighting still uh, thing at the, um, the, the the SmackDown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they, they do this thing on the on YouTube now where they they add uh, Dr. Dre. Anyway. Oh, no, I haven't it. seen that. You haven't seen it. I have to, to check that out. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to mm-hmm. you. You can see it. But, you know, just having a match that was memorable with him and the fact that I got to travel with him, learn from him, is just always, I will never forget. Yeah. So something that uh, definitely I'm sure that you're proud of, you won the United States Championship. That was your one and only title in the WWE. Um, so were there bigger plans with that when you won it or – was it just to kind of put you over and then they kind of kind of faulted in the, the booking process because you didn't keep it for long. It seemed like it was to propel you to kind of that main event threshold. You were getting there well, uh, definitely with your feud with Taker uh, and then, well, you know, winning the, 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 the U.S. title. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that the dropping of the U.S. championship came as a result of them putting me in a feud with Taker. They were like, you don't need that title if you're going to you're gonna feud with Taker. So they had me drop mm-hmm. it right away to Benoit. That yeah, because it was no mercy when you beat Taker, right? And then you dropped it to SmackDown, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the following SmackDown, if that sounds about right, 2006? I, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think Taker had something to do with it. Like he came out and they hit the gong and he came out. And I looked up at him, and then Benoit put me in the crippler or something like that. Yep. I think. But, yeah, it was basically they they put the U.S. championship on me, and they were going to have me run with it for a while. And then Shaker was the one that went to them and said, like, I want to work with him. And so they basically said, okay, you don't need that title right now. We're going to give it to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, nobody needs a title when they're feuding with Taker. It's just. That's true. He's just so over by himself. I mean, just working with him is is a title in and of itself. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, many many years of streak is bigger than the title match at WrestleMania every every single year. I mean, how do you feel about that as far as Brock beating him and ending the streak? I loved it. I really did. Ah, I, I can't. I, I, can't, I can't agree reaction. with you on that, man. Here, I'll tell you why. Here's my here's my theory on that. So if you look at WrestleMania as one, every show, every pay-per-view, every Raw, every SmackDown is one 
big, long three-hour show. Mm-hmm. And it's a one. It's a story. It's one continuous story. And you have ups and downs and peaks and valleys throughout that that story, just like you do in any other movie or television show. And I feel that Taker losing to Brock Lesnar, first of all, Taker has always been very protective. Not, not only Taker, but the whole company. The company in general has been very protective of Taker to make sure that he remains the badass that he is. And who else is going to beat him? Brock Lesnar is a legit tough guy. He can beat up anybody in the locker room right now. Mm-hmm. He could. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, can you think of anybody in the locker room that can, that can take Brock? In reality? In um, it's a good question. Uh, if I was in a locker room, you know, if I was in the locker room, it'd be tough. But uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I can't. I can't legitimately think of anybody off the top of my head that uh, could could go toe to toe with um, with Brock Lesnar. I, I can't. You know, there were some rumors with him and Jericho going at it, but you know, you know those those are rumors at best. So, I did not were you there at that time? No, I heard Jericho and Goldberg went at it. And I, mm. I didn't know about Brock Lesnar and Jericho. Oh, uh, you know I what? It might have been Jericho and Goldberg. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, well, it was Brock and uh, Perfect, Hennick. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the plane. I remember the plane being on a plane with Hennig going down to do my first TNA. So I'm living in Minneapolis at the time. ODB and I get booked to do dark matches for TNA. We get on the plane. ODB's dad works for Delta Airlines. So he got hmm. us three first-class tickets. Uh, they were standby tickets, I think. But anyway, we got first class. We get on the plane. Perfect is sitting right in front of me or behind me. I can't remember exactly. But the, uh, we get into a conversation, and he starts telling me, like, do you – did you ever hear about the time when I choked Brock Lesnar out at 30,000 feet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he took great pride in that moment, it looks like. He really did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so did you get an embellishment from, like, did you feel an embellishment or did you feel like it was the real deal, what he was telling you? Uh, I don't know. I think, I think it was a little bit of an embellishment. <laughs> he, I, the story that I heard later on was that he he and Brock got into this scuffle and I don't know, he had a rear naked choke on him or something like that or was trying to get one on. And Brock basically steamed him into the into the bathroom door on the plane and Hunter was actually in the bathroom at the time and Hunter was ticked off about it. So mm. it, it busted open the, the the door on the bathroom on the plane. There was all kinds of stuff that went on that flight. They cut oh, Michael yeah. Hayes' hair, put it in a bag. Somebody cut Michael Hayes' hair, and, uh, put it in a bag, and hung it up on the wall in catering. And wow. I guess Flair was walking down the aisle, and it's nothing but his robe. Yeah. Saying woo a bunch of times, yeah. Boys will be boys. 
<laughs> Indeed they will. So um, real quick, let's talk about uh, the original plans of you winning the money in the bank. Now, you won the money in the bank. You were w- way over as a heel at that time. You got injured, and then the whole, you know, um, edge cash in. I mean, the edge beat you on raw. And, I, and I, from from what I heard over the years, they were expecting the injury to be longer than it was, which is the reason why edge won. And then if they found out that it was shorter, and then they didn't want to rescind that. How did that all come about? Were you what were the bit, what were the overarching plans of you winning? Were you, did you have a title shot in, in in store, or what was the plan behind that? So initially, I said right away. I believe on Raw the next night, the night after WrestleMania, I came out and said, "I'm going to cash it in next year at WrestleMania." Mm-hmm. That was the first guy that had done that. I said, "I'm going to wait one year and I'm going to cash it in." at WrestleMania next year, and I'm going to win the title. And that, that was the intention, that I would wait the entire year. Well, then Undertaker got hurt. He had torn his biceps, I believe. And so Vince and Stephanie called me in the office after SmackDown and said, look, we were planning on having Taker run with this title for a long time, but he's got a He's hurt. We need to get the title off of him. We think the best way to do that is for you to come out next week, cash in your money in the bank. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So we talked about it, talked about a couple different scenarios, and then I left. And the very next time that I wrestled, I believe was Poughkeepsie. And we did a double shot. And during the first match, it was like a eight-man tag or something like six-man tag. Batista shot me into the corner. He gave me a jab in the corner, like a jab clothesline, and then he just grabbed my arm and pulled me out into like a short clothesline. And for some reason, I just bumped kind of weird, kind of sideways. Mm-hmm. And when my tricep hit the mat, it just felt like something just exploded in there. Mm-hmm. And I rolled out to the floor, and I remember Finley coming out and looking – and seeing my arm, and he said, oh, that doesn't look good. And you could just see it was immediately starting to swell up in that one area. By the time I got to the locker room, I couldn't bend my elbow. My arm was already starting to discolor, which is weird because mm-hmm. it usually takes a while for it to show bruising, right? So, anyway, I went to – I drove with Hornswoggle that night to Erie, Pennsylvania. Get an MRI, which I hate. I hate MRIs. I'm claustrophobic to a degree. Mm. And MRIs just, that just kills me. When you can't take a full breath because your shoulders are touching the sides, I just freaks me out. So anyway, oh, yeah. I, I had back surgery three years ago. I, I had my fair share of MRIs. I totally understand what, how you feel about that. It's, it's terrible. I hate them. Mm-hmm. And so basically, did the MRI, and then the next day I'm sitting around the hotel, and they just said, go to your hotel and just wait. We'll, we'll call you and let you know what's happening. So Stephanie calls me at the hotel, and she's like, hey, you're, you tore your triceps off the bone, and you're going to have to have surgery, and you're going to be out for seven, eight months. But the problem is, is that we still need to get that title off the taker because he's injured. And the 
what we're thinking is we're going to send Vince's jet, the, the WWE corporate jet is going to come pick you up in Erie, fly you to Penn State. Edge is going to challenge you for the money in the bank, and then he is going to go on to do what you were going to, what you were supposed to do. So yeah, Monday night, I Monday afternoon, came pick me up, took that ride in the jet to Penn State. Got there, Edge called me a chicken, or Edge challenged me to my put my money in the bank. Briefcase up, I said, no, he called me a chicken. I said, nobody calls Ken Anderson a chicken or Mr. Kennedy a chicken. So I wrestled him, went out there. I couldn't do anything. My arm was completely, I mean, it was it was as though I had a splint from my shoulder all the way on my wrist. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't move my arm. And Vince just said, well, what, what do you want to do? I said, just have him jump me, beat me, beat me all the way to the ring, roll me in. Ring the bell, hit me with the spear, one, two, three. Okay, that's what we're going to do. So that's what happened. And then the next day, I went, I flew down to Birmingham, Alabama, and sat on Dr. James Andrews. James Andrews is the guy that basically does every athlete. I mean, he's done Bo Jackson, Brett oh, Favre, yeah. you know, everybody. You, you sit on his table, and you look around, and he's got pictures of everybody. You know, say thank, thanks, Dr. Andrews, for Bo Jackson. That Remember that old picture of Bo Jackson where he's got the, the football shoulder pads on, the black and white? Yeah. He's got the baseball yeah. bat spun over his shoulders. That one, he's got that sign. Hey, thanks for fixing my nice. what was it, hip. I think it was his hip, right? That's the way that's what probably yeah. caused him to retire. I think it was, yeah, yeah, I think it was his hip, yeah. Bo Jackson's hip. So, anyway, I'm sitting on the table. Doc, Doc Andrews comes in. He grabs my arm, and he's like, so uh, – they're telling me that you, you tore your triceps, huh? Yeah. And he's just sort of feeling it. And he goes, that's not a tear. No, you didn't tear it. Um, and I said, excuse me? He says, no, I, I bet you money that that's not a tear. You just feel it. There's no, there's no, you know, I guess you, you can tell there's like a divot where the muscle would tear. He said, I don't feel anything in there. So we'll do another MRI. I was like, oh, fantastic. I'd love to do another MRI. So, at least this was an open MRI. I got to do that. So, I did did another MRI, and sure enough, it was just basically a really bad bruise. A lot of blood vessels had broken open, and just inter- I, I bled internally, so, and just my arm swelled up. And he said, "You take." Maybe three, maybe four weeks off, you'll be good. You'll be back to the ring, and that's what happened. So. Wow, that had to be crushing, man. Just to know that you would have been a day later, you would have been the world heavyweight champion um, if yeah. the, the proper diagnosis would have been given to you. That that's that has to be crushing. I mean, did, is that something that you ever think about or, 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 you know, that you could have been world heavyweight champion if it wasn't for, I mean, you know, uh, can't really, you can't really say if it's because of Batista. I mean, you you can, but you really can't because it's just no, part no, of no. the business. I no. mean, yeah. yeah. No, I'm no, not no, saying no. that you, I'm not saying you, I'm just saying just period. You, you really can't. It's a part of the business, but it's, my biggest thing is that the diagnosis is what kind of is, yeah. is crushing to me. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't Batista. It wasn't anything that he did. It was, the, you know, the move wasn't weird or anything like that. 
Yeah. But yeah. It was the it was the misdiagnosis that uh, that did it. But it, it is what it is. I mean, life thing life throws you curveballs and you figure out how to deal with it. You hit home runs, man. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Yeah. All the all the things that have ever happened in my career the negative stuff, um, you know, getting fired from WWE in the first place. And when I got that initial call, it was it was pretty devastating. You know, it was crushing. And two days later, I felt like this giant weight had lifted off my shoulders. And I ended up beating my agent and moving to New York. My wife and I were able to have two beautiful kids that I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if if I was on the road as much as I was. So, you know, a lot of positive things have happened. How'd that happen, like, as far as your release? What what is the the real reason behind that? uh, uh, Is the the Randy Orton thing completely false, or is there some validity to that? Um, Yeah, you know, some... He, he said I dropped him on his head. I disagree. I've watched the tape back a million times. I did at the time. I remember going home and watching it over and over again. Like, he lands flat, flat as flat can be. I watched it in slow motion. Yeah, watched, I agree. You can see, the, I, I, you can yeah, see actually, I, I watched you. it in slow motion on a high-resolution television up in my living room, a big 65-inch mm-hmm. television, and you can see that his neck, the shadow, his neck never, you know, his neck, you can actually see the shadow of his neck. So his neck never comes into contact with the mat, but he said I dropped him on his neck. So, you know, he and uh, John Cena went to, the, went to the boss and had a discussion with him, and the next, the two days later, I got a phone call. So I don't exactly know what the circumstances, and it wasn't just those guys, and it wasn't just that one incident. It was right, right. this accumulation of a bunch of stuff that was me running my mouth about the Benoit thing, and then, you know, the it was just, it was just so much stuff. And, um, I, I was pretty vocal about certain things in the locker room. But yeah, it was just it, it was it was more me than anybody else. I'll take mm-hmm. full responsibility. And very and noble just, of you. At that point, Vince was like, you know what? I'm tired of hearing his name. I'm tired of hearing this crap. Get rid of him. That kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can see that. Yep. So real quick, um, let's talk about your overall experience with the the TNA. Um, just a few things uh, before we close. So you were two time world champ. Um, how was just being world champ at TNA? Was it was it say an achievement that you thought was very significant in your career. How would you compare that with your WWE run becoming world champ twice? Well, I mean, you can't compare the two companies, I don't think. Right? They're, I mean, they're, the reach that WWE has is just extraordinary. And TNA, while they've attempted and while they try, they still try just has never gotten there. Mm-hmm. And it's, I will say the, the, the talent there is extraordinary. Oh, I yeah. love, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to 
say anything negative about the company because I, I used to have friends that work there and they work their tails off day in and day out. They go out there and they try to put on the best performance that they possibly can. And it, so it, it's not the same. But, you know, it's, it was still significant. We do have a, a large reach over in, in Europe. TNA had a very large reach over in Europe. We're in more homes, or I say we're, I'm not with them anymore, but they're in more homes in the UK than WWE is. Mm-hmm. Because WWE is on pay TV and TNA is on free TV. So they have a, a wider reach, get better ratings, actually. But it just, they were, those runs were pretty short lived also. But, yeah. you know, I had fun. Right. I had a lot of fun while I was there. I got to work a lot of people that I really had fun with. I got to work Kurt Angle. Uh, had an amazing program with him. We had a really fun program with Sting where I, you know, I dressed up as old school Sting with the blonde hair and the pink tights. And, you know, the cool thing was that about that was Sting was actually the guy that did I would, the the outfits that I wore were actually Sting's old gear, and Sting would paint my face before we went out and did every single one of those episodes. So, just kind of yeah. a cool thing, little little mark out moment for myself. You know? Of course, I'm, yeah. I'm still, that's the thing. Like I, I I'm I'm a wrestling fan. I am the biggest wrestling wrestlers are the biggest wrestling fans. You know, you want to talk you know to somebody about wrestling. Talk to Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer is an, a walking encyclopedia about wrestling. He nice. knows literally everything there is to know. Nice. Yeah, I have trivia on my show every uh, every week, and that's uh, I, I would probably just shoot him trivia questions as we talk. <laughs> I think he that will would, that would be answer every single one of them correctly. I guarantee it. Nice. I would be willing to bet bet money on it. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome, man. We gotta get him on the show. Uh, we talked a few years back. We were trying to get something scheduled a few years back. We never uh, never got back to it. But, yeah, but that definitely gives me a better, uh, uh, even more of an incentive to, to get him here on the show because uh, I, uh, I love trivia. I love, I'm just like that. I'm like wrestling trivia. There's so many people that calls me. The, <laughs> there's so many people that call me the wrestling encyclopedia um, because I love really? wrestling yeah. trivia. Yeah, yeah, I, love, I, I absolutely love it. You guys could have a little competition. That would be great, man. Cause I got a buzzer and a uh, and a and a ding on my on my show uh, as sound effects, <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I would absolutely love to do that. Yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. Uh, so, what was your best and your worst feud in TNA? Best and worst. Ooh. My best was. Well, uh, I'll say two. The two best that I I think were the one that I had with Kurt Angle, and because that was right when I came into the company, and I had an axe to grind, and I was on a mission to prove you know that I could be on that stage or whatever. And so I was on my game then, you know, really on my game, and then. Mm-hmm. Bubba Ray 
and then Bubba Ray, Bully Ray, after the Aces and Ace thing. I mean, that was a really fun feud that I had. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that I was actually sad when we had our blow-off match in Manchester. I was like, that's it. We're done. We're moving on. It was kind of a sad day for me. Because mm-hmm. I really came to know him as a friend. And, you know, he's a mentor, a guy I looked up to, a guy I continued to look up to. But, you know, we became friends. And we just really had a fun time. And we sort of left it all out there. I remember him coming to me ahead of time. And, and you know, he asked me if it was okay if he said something about my wife and kids because my wife was pregnant at the time. She's three, four, five months pregnant or something like that. Like, can I say something about it? I said, brother, you can say whatever you want and I won't be offended. This is worth telling stories here. This is not real life. Mm-hmm. You know, like 9-11, 9-11 happened and they made a movie called United 93 where they hired people to portray Muhammad Atta and all the other guys. Those guys that played the terrorists aren't real terrorists. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. That's sort of my What's that? So that's a good way to put it. I, I, that's, a, that's a very good way to put it. And that, that's the way I look at everything in our business. Everybody, anytime something controversial happens as a part of a storyline, that's something that's a little salacious or you know, comes across as lowbrow humor or whatever, like, people always jump all over it. People need to chill out. It's entertainment. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's perfectly okay when it happens in a movie, but for some reason when it happens in a wrestling, it's Inappropriate. Mm-hmm. That's a good. That's a good so, point. I think because fans, I, you know, wrestling fans are, are, are funny. I mean, <laughs> and, and that's coming from yeah. you and I, who are both wrestling fans. But I think there's just such such a vicariousness to being a wrestling fan. Um, that's just uh, eerie sometimes. <laughs> to be a, to well, be perfectly think, honest. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that wrestling fans forget that it's not real. Exactly. They forget that it's that it's entertainment. It's there's a there's a disclaimer at the beginning of every Monday Night Raw now saying these are characters, these are not real people. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> they're real people portraying these characters. Um, nobody's trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I, and, and, and that leads me to another thing. I still can't believe that I still get people that ask me or make comments about how wrestling's fake, and I'll just say. You know, like, like, oh, I don't watch wrestling because it's, you know, because it's fake and stuff. I was like, well, do you, did you see Jurassic World? The dinosaurs aren't real. Right. <laughs> Why is that? Why, Those are the you same know, people you know, who have the... Uh, like, oh, I was going to go to Jurassic World, but yeah. they don't have real dinosaurs, <laughs> so I can't do it. No. You have to yeah. spend your disbelief. For some reason, no. because we present it as a, a live action sports entertainment scenario, mm-hmm. people can't differentiate between fact and fiction, I think. Or people have a yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, those are the same people who have the, uh, as they're as they're tweeting you, they have a Superman shirt on. So, exactly. uh, as of, <laughs> as of, uh, yeah, but, but Clark Kent, he's real though. He, but you know, That's but right. you're not. You're, you're, you're <laughs> wrestling's fake, but uh, Superman is not, so. In in their eyes, <laughs> it's, yeah, it has, it has to be frustrating. Uh, real quick, let's um, your your worst feud. Just uh, do you, can you think of one? 
Oh, man. I can't think of my worst feud of TV. I don't know. I, I tend to try to forget about this sentence, and I don't have fun with yeah, it. Like. <laughs> that's good. So, so uh, just throwing feuds out there. Uh, yeah. Jeff Hardy, um, did you like that one at all? Loved it. Loved it, yeah. Um, I love with that's yeah, that's uh, that's great. Um, I see. I I did not like. I, I liked the build up for Aces and Eights, but I I did not like the payoff. I didn't I didn't like the payoff at all. I was so just. I was so just um, disappointed in the in the in the fallout of, of Aces and Eights because I really like the whole mystique with people just coming in and um and and, and uh just attacking everyone and, and with the masks and, and just mysterious because to me, I mean, like you say, it's characters. I I akin wrestling to like Marvel or DC Comics. I, I to me it, it, it's Superman versus the you know the the, the you know, it's 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 Superman versus um, what's his what's his arch, arch nemesis the um um what is it Joker? Batman Joker well Batman and Joker and then Green Goblin is who I'm thinking of no 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 Spider Man and Green Goblin oh Superman Superman Lex Luthor yeah there you go oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Lex Luthor yeah <laughs> I was trying to figure out like wait a minute I'm thinking of I'm I'm, I'm putting in I, I, I'm, I'm mixing in our travels here, but yes. Uh, well, you're going to say Batman because of the whole Superman versus Batman thing right now, right? <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly what it was. That, yes. was, that was the first thing <laughs> that popped into my head. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, it's 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 the hero versus the villain. I mean, that's the, I've been watching wrestling for over 30 years, and that's still what I, you know, can wrestling to is the, is the hero versus the villain, and. You know, the Aces and Eights had that villainous attack, blah, blah, blah. And then when people were starting to unmask, I'm like, who is this guy? You know, and, and so it, it really it really was, uh, was was disappointing to me. Did you like the whole vice president role uh, gimmick that they gave you? Yeah, I, I did. Um, you know, I, I really wasn't. When they presented it to me in the first place, look, I'm not a biker in real life. I'm about mm-hmm. as far from a biker <laughs> in real life as you could possibly get. But I always looked at it as I'm acting, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do movies and television shows and stuff like that. I auditioned for Sons of Anarchy like five times. So uh, I'm, I'm acting. I'm, I'm playing the character. So I try to have fun with it. And I, I was, I guess the only thing that I didn't like about that whole thing was I, I wish that we were given a little more time to sort of build things like somebody would just automatically get brought into the club. And that's not how a real biker club works, mm-hmm. you know, totally agree with the prospect that. for the prospect for a long time. And I think there's so much stuff that could have been done with prospects you know, this guy has to scrape the bottom of the barrel. You know, he's got to mop the floors at the end of the night, clean up the dressing room. He's 
got to wrestle a gauntlet match. You know, he gets, he gets put through the ringer by the the rest of the club. You know, things like that just never sort of played out. Nobody ever earned mm-hmm. their way into the club. They were just like, oh, I'm I'm part of this gang now. Right. And, you know, that's yeah. where I came in too, right? You know, I was just no. Oh. So it was, you know, that kind of stuff. The only thing that really frustrates me about it. And at the end, it was creatively, I think some heads kind of butted creatively and somebody decided, Mm -hmm. well, this is done. We're done with this. Yeah, it was very abrupt. It just came to an abrupt conclusion to this. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times in the wrestling business. See, what I've seen, what I think happens a lot of times is that is that you've got these writers that all they do is work on the show. They think about creative for the show. They're working on the next show. They're writing. They're sitting down and having meetings about the shows. And so they're seeing this 24-7 365, with a few exceptions. They get a couple days off a year. And at home, you're only seeing the segments for 10 minutes. Like, you'll see a feud happen. A match usually only lasts 10, maybe 15 minutes out of of a night. Mm -hmm. So the fans at home are only seeing it for 10 to 15 minutes, but these writers are seeing it forever. And so when something goes on for three months, to the writer, it seems like it's been going on for a year. Mm -hmm. But in reality... The people have only seen it once a week for 10 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So I yeah. think the writers have a tendency. They, they sort of get flustered sometimes and like, oh, my God, we got we have to end this. This has been going on too long. People are going to get sick of this. And I also think mm. that they take into consideration far too much the very vocal but small percentage of Internet wrestling fans that write on these message boards and that complain – you know, they complain, 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 complain. They still watch the product every week. Yeah. No matter yeah. what. Somebody could go out there and tap a squat in the middle of the ring, and they're going to watch. They're going to watch it. They'll complain about mm-hmm. it. That's true. And they'll say, I'm never watching this product. I'm never watching it again. And then the next week, they'll write another article about how they hated something on that show. And it's, it's just, it's not that's sort of my opinion on how that goes. Yeah. Unless so. you get paid to do that like myself. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that. I'm not, no, but look, I totally agree with you. Nobody, I agree with you. I'm not saying that nobody should have an opinion. Everybody should have an opinion. And, mm-hmm. and we live in America. You have the right to voice your opinion. But I think a lot of times what happens and the thing that's sort of frustrating why I don't read or listen to any, I, I never read anything. I don't read dirt sheets. I don't. I, I, people, you know, I, I had a little situation with the ICW FTNA thing mm. a couple weeks ago, and I didn't, you know, uh, the only reason that I knew about it was because I had 20 or 30 friends of mine and family members texting me saying, are you okay? What's going on? And then sending me hyperlinks to these articles, and I just, every single one of them, I just said, like, I appreciate your concern. I'm fine. And I don't want to hear about it. Don't send me any more hyperlinks. I don't want to read it. I don't want to read any of them. But the thing is, is that 
what my point is, what I'm trying to get to is that a lot of times the stuff that you guys are complaining about, stuff that we're complaining about too in the back, we just, it just happens to be that we are employees of a company and we have to do a job. They tell us to go out there and do something, but we can try to be as diplomatic as we can and say, maybe it'd be better if we do this, but at the end of the day, if they say, no, this is the way we want it done, and you in your head are thinking, this sucks, but what are you going to do? You, you got a choice. You can either do it or not do it, and if you don't do it, chances are they're going to find somebody that will. It's true. Very true. Yep. Very true. I agree with you. Um, I mean, I think you bring up some good points. I mean, even as a, you know, someone who's been a dirt cheap writer, so to speak, for many years now, um, you know, I tend, I, I learned how to, how to retreat and, and how to, see, my, my strength, my strong points are opinion and aggregate, aggregate pieces now. I, you know, the whole news bits and things like that and, you know, this reported and that reported, I, I try to stray away from because I remember when I first started doing it a few years ago and just really getting just really heavy into this, you know, this person said this and this person is going to be out because of this and this person got fired because of this and it's just like, you know, it's just hearsay that that's why I love doing interviews. That's why I do so many interviews on my show that I love hearing actually from the people instead of from, yeah. you know, a source yeah. from someone who kind of knows the person who kind of told them something, who told something to someone else. And it's just a telephone game. And you know that that right. never ends well. Um, so yeah, that's why I love having interviews and, you know, and I remember, I think, you know, you were in an interview after that whole TNA thing. And I think you explained well that it was, um, something that you're in character, you're playing a heel in the indie show, and and it just came, you know, that that came from just being on a character. Now, if you would have read the sheets, you know, it would have been got fired, got released, and he just hates TNA and blah blah. blah. You know, that's that's yeah. what many people are getting well, from it, that. They made it look like I got in a soapbox and basically said, like, exactly. I'm Ken Anderson. I don't work for TNA anymore. F TNA. Like yeah. that's not what happened at all. It was. They took, from what I was told, they took eight seconds out of that video because there was a long video. And basically, they took eight seconds where it just says, my name is Ken Anderson. I don't, or it says, I don't work for TNA anymore, so that's TNA. Well, that's not what happened. It was the fans were chanting. It was a very adult crowd, wild crowd. It was five, 600 people in Scotland at ICW. ICW is a huge deal in Scotland. But on pay TV or like a pay-per-view or something like that over there. Um, always sellouts. They're running the Hydro in November, which seats 15,000 people. They've already sold a buttload of tickets. Anyway, this is a very tenacious, very rabid. reminds me a lot of ECW. So you mm-hmm. can say whatever you want to on the microphone there. Right? Anything goes. And they started chanting FTNA, FTNA, FTNA. I just said, well, okay, I don't work for them anymore. So, yeah, I agree. And then I said after that, well, F you too, because I was playing the heel. So I give it to them, and then I take it away from them. But people, whoever it was that posted that video in the first place, just took the eight seconds out where it looks like I'm just on a soapbox. Yeah. And I said, 
And I told you earlier that I have friends that work at TNA. So I'm not going to get up and start, you know, I'm not going to badmouth the company. I I had fun while I worked there. I love that company. I love wrestling. Mm-hmm. hope that company continues, you know, I hope that company can figure it out and become successful. Because yeah. God knows the boys that work there and the girls, the men and the women, are busting their tails. They're very, very talented over there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, they are. Totally agree with that. Very well said there. Very noble of you to take the high road as well. Been a pleasure, Ken. Definitely appreciate it. Give us, uh, give us a plug, man. Where can we find you? And uh, you got any dates coming up? Yeah, I am. You know, I've been doing a lot of stuff in the UK and Ireland and Scotland and going to Australia at the end of the month. Uh, the 29th and the 30th. 29th, I'll be in Melbourne. Well, the 30th, I'll be in Perth. And then the middle of next month, I think May 15th, 16th, 17th, I'll, 17th, I'll be in England. And then uh, I'll be tagging with Billy Gunn over in Preston, England, mm-hmm. as the New Age A-holes. Huh. A-holes here. <laughs> <laughs> um, on June 25th so yeah and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Ken Anderson Mr. Ken Anderson Mr. Ken Anderson and then uh, on the on my Instagram which is Mr. Spelled out M-I-S-T-R Ken Anderson so, and my Facebook is just I, I usually just I only have people that I work with and, family members and people that I went to school with. So it's mm-hmm. just sort of one of those things that I just sort of keep private keep to myself. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I think uh, you're up in one of the top echelon of being uh, one of my longest interviews. I've had tons and tons of interviews here the past four years. And uh, uh, you, uh, you have made it to that echelon, man, and I've had a ball <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> I got to bore you to tears for an extra half an hour. Right? No, very untrue. I, I disagree. <laughs> no, I, I had a pleasure, man, and um, I, I'm sure this interview would be blasted uh, in many outlets uh, come within the next uh, few days, so I'm sure that uh, you don't look at the dark sheets, but uh I do because I love uh, looking at the comments of uh, interviews that I have that people report. So I'm sure that there'll be a lot of uh, positive ones too. So I'm looking forward to it. Had a pleasure talking to you, man. Yeah, pleasure is mine. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Have a good night. Ken Anderson, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for that awesome interview. Uh, man, great, great talk. Lot to, <laughs> we covered a whole lot. Uh, I think I've said this before that I usually don't have a script, but I kind of had a script because there was so much to cover. But of course, as always, um, when there's a good interview, we just go off of it. So, <laughs> and it was it was great. So thank you, Ken. I really really appreciate it. Um, we don't have much time. We only got a couple minutes. Um, just takeaways from Raw. I, I, I like what they're doing with Roman Reigns. Uh, Kalisto having the U.S. title was just absolutely ridiculous to me. I have no idea uh, why that happened. So he just he he took the fall against the Vault Villains and Smackdown. Uh, he took the fall uh, against the uh, um, 
Well, he got hurt uh, against uh, Team 3D, so uh, anyway, they need to take that title off him very fast. Cesaro coming back, being the new Intercontinental uh, number one contender, you know that that's uh, sparks some interest. It looks like we're seeing Jericho and Ambrose. That should be interesting as well. Uh, that's that's has been teased for quite some time now, so um, so we'll see. Bray Wyatt as a babyface ish. Wyatt family doesn't make sense, but Wyatt, Bray Wyatt as a baby face, I, I've been saying that for quite some time. Uh, I'm hesitant towards it because of the Wyatt family, but I'm open to see uh, how the next weeks will progress. And then finally, Apollo Crews. I just can't stand how they're booking him. I mean, they just he should have de- developed his characters more in and, and, and NXT. I really, really like Apollo Crews. He's an amazing uh, uh, wrestler, but I just don't like the fact that they just, they just throw him out there and expect him for him to, to get a reaction because of his wrestling ability, which L.A. didn't give him too much. Real quick, I'm going to write an article about this, so uh, check it out. Um, five must-see fuse for 2016. AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. Bray Wyatt versus Luke Harper. Shane McMahon versus Triple H. Roman Reigns versus uh, Seth Rollins. And Miz versus Shinsuke Nakamura. I will go into that in detail with an article, so check that out. It'll be in one of the outlets that I that I write for, so be on the lookout for an article for that. Google my name, wrestling writer, and it'll pop up. Five must see fees for 2016. So thank you so much, everyone. God bless you all. And it's another night, another successful night at the Pancakes of Power Sam Show, episode 2011. Sign off. Goodbye. <laughs>